This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Hello, good evening and welcome. This is The Bottom Line. I'm John Purcell and I'm with you until 7 o'clock this evening coming up on the programme for and about business. Climate change is an ongoing subject of concern and while many businesses are well on the road to making their businesses more sustainable, there are many others who have put off the necessary changes that they have to make to decrease their carbon footprints. We'll be talking to a Carla woman who heads a company which works with businesses, large and small, to devise and implement strategies and prepare for a future where becoming climate friendly won't be just a choice for business but will also be something which they will have to do to comply with a range of statutory requirements which are coming down the track. Any businesses using Google Analytics to guide their e-commerce strategies need to be aware of an important change that comes into effect on June the 30th. If you're not, you could find your e-commerce strategy derailed. We'll be talking to John Foy of local company Strategicus Studio about what you need to know and what you need to do. And with financial forecasting increasingly challenging in a complex and ever-changing business environment, we'll be talking to Martin O'Brien from the Central Bank of Ireland about what's been going on in the Irish economy and what lies ahead for the rest of the year and beyond. But first on the line, I'm delighted to be joined by Samantha McCochran, business editor of the Sunday Independent. Good evening, Samantha. Hi, John. Busy time for business, and I know uh, you're busy on the business desk in the Sunday Independent. What's grabbing your eye when it comes to business stories these days? Well, I suppose the big news this afternoon is a statement from RTE in relation to uh, what it has paid our very well-known presenter, Ryan Tuberty. So uh, a statement today basically said that um, he, he had been paid hundreds of thousands of euros more than it had previously been declared to the public or to the Iraqis. And I think that number between 2017 and 2022 is about €345,000. So that's over and above what he was paid uh, in his published salary. And one of the reasons this is important is because he has given him a commitment to bring down the salaries of his top 10 presenters. And it hasn't been doing that over the last number of years, but the key issue here is transparency. If it is already saying it's doing something, you know, this clearly shows that there was money being paid. It wasn't being declared. And uh, there's quite a lot of controversy going around it. It's for a number of days. Um, Ryan Tuggerty has made a issue statement saying he can't shed any light on it. And really, it's RTE's business how it, uh, you know, comes up with these payments. It's quite a complex, a lot of information about how it was all done. But at the end of the day, it's going to get a lot of attention. And RTE, as we all know, has been looking for more money and increases the license fee. And it's Transparency is going to be a big question here. What does the public know exactly? Yeah, and it's all about trust in the media and, you know, um, politicians clamouring to have a go. Uh, The NUJ also coming out with a very uh, strong statement this afternoon. They, uh, you know, represent hundreds of journalists out there and they're saying it's a breach of trust unparalleled in RTE history. There's no telling where this could go, really, um, because as well as everything else, RTE would have given evidence at a, a joint Rocktus committees and and public accounts committees about their salary uh, uh, levels and so on, and they were given wrong information. Politicians will take that very seriously. They will, because um, his commitment was that these numbers, that really big salaries that were being paid to very well-known uh, presenters, it was just 
too much money, especially at a time when RT has been struggling to, uh, you know, make ends meet. Basically, it's in this, it's in it's been into the de- deficits for many years, and it's been very very vocal about the need for uh, more money needs, and obviously the total revision of the licensing system. So it has been placed in depth by um, members of the uh, Rockets Committee that deals with media over many years, and you know there's an implicit ex- expectation that. Because uh, the numbers that they're receiving are correct. Um, the numbers now for um, Ryan Tuberty have all had to be revised, pushing you know his annual salary over half a million a year, whereas it would have been probably below that for most of the years. You know, so look, it's a quite. Um, it's going to attract a lot of um, negative attention because, um, as you're saying there, it's, it's you know probably the only much of an excuse to criticise RT, and this is a really you know on the face of it, it looks like um, you know. You know, uh, sort of bad faith, I suppose. You know, people expecting to get details and expecting to see that there's developments that Orti is committed to in terms of cutting the costs of those very big um, names. And also, the NUJ is right to be angry because some of the uh, increases, you know, are more than many journalists would, you know, increase or would, would ever earn in a year. Uh, so the 75,000 euros a year, those type of numbers are... are, are salaries that many journalists would, would only ever dream of, you know? Yeah, well, look, uh, we'll move on. Plenty more to come on that, I'm sure, in the in the coming days. Um, back to the real world, I suppose. Uh, interest rates. Later in the programme, I'll be talking uh, to Martin O'Brien, Head of Irish Economic Analysis at the Central Bank of Ireland. But, uh, you know, interest rates, no relief on the horizon for hard-pressed businesses. No, like, um, there was some uh, expectation that... Uh, July would be kind of the last of the interest rate rises. So we had one there a few days ago, um, uh, bringing up the sort of main lending rate to about 4%. Um, there seems to be an expectation that there could be now one in September as well, and possibly beyond that. At the end of the day, inflation is remaining extremely stubborn. It's at 6% in Europe. Uh, that, that's seen as far too high. The expected rate is to be 2%, so it's well in excess of that. So until that uh, really stubborn number of inflation can be pushed down, it seems interest rates will continue uh, to be increased. It's really the only tool that the ECB and and policymakers have in terms of tackling inflation. So the messages are there is a little bit of division, I think, in ECB about how to progress in in September, but there is a growing expectation that there will be further increases to rates this year. And we just see Bank of England raise interest rates by half a percent um, you know, bringing us to five percent, the main, the main rate. So look, it's it's not a very pleasant uh, situation for borrowers, be they businesses, individuals, or, or mortgage holders. Um, finally, Samantha, um, people working at home, the number of jobs been uh, advertised that are offering fully remote working positions are falling. Uh, bad news for uh, what's the word? Um, digital nomads. Yes, yeah, so my colleague Adrian Wecker um, has a story in The Independent today about uh, numbers from big, big uh, websites, Indeed.com, and there is 54,000 nearly uh, jobs on the market at the moment being advertised. Wow. Uh, only a couple of thousand of those are now remote. There's four, that's 4% of those jobs are remote, fully remote, and that would be compared to 7% 
this time last year. So it's quite a substantial uh, change. And kind of a sad thing, I think, is the fact that the higher paid jobs are more likely to be remote, the lower paid jobs less so. So I don't know, you know, people with better salaries and maybe jobs that are perceived to be worth more, do they have more flexibility? But I suppose there's also a suspicion that some employers were very much on board with remote, work, remote working during uh, pandemic lockdown, so we're really keen to see people back at the office. And we have seen the big tech names move towards getting people back in the office, feeling that they were less productive when they're working from home. Mm, well, look, uh, the pandemic is fading into the rear view mirror and we're getting back to normal which is good news uh, Samantha we have to leave it there thanks for joining us uh, again on the bottom line that's Samantha McCorkham business, business editor of the Sunday Independent thanks Samantha we're going to take a break now and uh, we're going to be back and we're going to be talking about an important Google update that you need to be aware of if you're into e-commerce this is KCLOR you're very welcome back. Uh, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until seven o'clock. Now, businesses are being urged to update their analytics before a June deadline that's coming up rather soon, June 30th. It's for people who use websites and apps in their e-commerce and might be interested in the analytics. Uh, joining me in studio to talk about this is John Foy, Creative Director with Straticus Studios. Uh, John, tell us a bit about Straticus first before we get into the weeds around this uh, update that people need to be looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Nice to meet you, John. Um, yeah, Stratacus, we're a creative branded agency based in Bagnellstown. Uh, we look after from branding, design to development. That includes websites and apps. And the, I suppose one of our key roles is we don't just build infrastructure and framework. We actually market it. So we get the right traffic and right visitors to your website using digital marketing practices. And uh, Bagnellstown to the world, uh, what kind of client base do you have? Yeah, we have a, a large client base. So a large client base again in agri in biomedical um, we've, we've, we're national and we also have an office in London as well so again in terms of the, the diversity of our, our client base is quite large and so for people uh, who are using websites and apps uh, you know to highlight themselves and to market themselves tell us about this uh, analytics update? Yeah, so at the minute, most people are using Google Universal Analytics, so that'll give them insights in terms of who's visiting the website, what's the most popular pages, most popular products, and it gives them insight from a digital marketing point of view that if they spend a euro, they can have a look at the conversion and see that if they spend a euro and the customer bought 500 euros worth of product, they can actually define then what, what they spend from a digital marketing budget point of view. With that being said, um, Google launched in 20 2020 Google uh, Analytics 4 or GA4 and that's coming into play and there's a deadline of the 30th of June so if people don't implement GA4 by the 30th of June any marketing or any practices you're carrying out um, regarding your website or app you won't be able to track that data so you'll go into the dashboard after the 1st of July and you'll have no data or no insights So it's not just the case of you're failing to get the update you're just not going to have the service You're just not going to have the service that's it and it's like it's marketing you're you're in the night time you don't have a flashlight and you're trying to find your audience that's that's how bad it is It's, it's quite a critical update especially if you rely on you're using, utilising your website and your app to generate revenue. And so how are people missing it? Do people be notified of this via email? Do they get a notification or what? 
what, how are Google telling people? Google tell people, yeah. So in fairness, Google are they're telling people by email. Also, when you log into Google Anal- Universal Analytics into your dashboard, they have a notice uh, flagging. We also, with our client base, we've also sent out emails to the clients. Anybody that's a retainer client, which is a big market of ours, we automatically have already ch- implemented it. So Google has notified people. It's just whether or not they have been instructed or they understand it or if their own web developer has been in touch with them. Yeah, I have a kind of an instinct that a lot of people see these kind of emails coming in and notifications and just in the era of web security hackers and all that, a lot of it is getting kind of deleted and people miss out on a lot of stuff. Is that a kind of a bit too harsh? It, no, no, you're dead right. It is true. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many spam emails and phishing coming through that most people don't trust that communication form. So they rely on their own developer or, like I said, rely on an agency like ourselves. And I suppose if the agency or the developer is not forthcoming and introducing them to it, it's it's on the back of the client and the client may not have the time or may forget about it and then it just gets lost in sync then. Yeah, so for a one or two or maybe even three-person business, we talk to them every week on the programme, you know, that, that, that are critical yeah. to the web and the web is a critical part and they're marketing online and all that. What do they need to do if they, they are notified? Is it, a, is it a big job? It's not a big job, no, usually it would take probably, depend if they have uh, another platform called Google Tag Manager already set up, usually we could probably do it in, in a half a day or a day. Worst case scenario, sometimes it'll take a day and a half just to is implement it. Is that a day it. and a half of solid work or is it like 30 minutes of work followed by a day and a half? No, it would be, be it would be a, f- a full day anyway and then testing to implement to make sure that, especially from an e-commerce point of view, because when we implement it, we need to make sure then the conversions are being collected in the data. So usually with an e-commerce, we'll tag like... Uh, clicks through telephone, we'll tag purchases through the, the shopping cart, we'll tag um, communications through the contact form. So all those need to be set up individually then as well. Yeah, so quite a big job. So we're we're talking, what are we today, the 22nd? So there's only about eight days. So yeah, Friday that's week. it. Yeah, now luckily enough, we have, in, internally, we have fantastic Google experts that literally can, can work on it as quickly as possible. And what we do is we identify whether or not some of those accounts have already been set up for the client and if they have then it makes it much much easier process I suppose the key thing is if somebody doesn't have a web developer ideally I'd love them to contact Stratix Studio but if they do have a web developer then they need to get in touch with their own in, internal um, mm. staff. We've kind of focused on the uh, on, on the logistics and the nuts and bolts of making sure you get it done. It is an update. Does it have new features or what are the benefits? Like, you know, what's the thing with an update? The thing, Many times yeah. it updates, it's just invisible. It stops some hackers getting in or something. But does this bring new features? And what it are does, they? yeah. So the crucial ones in terms of it helps us to map out the customer journey much better and allows kind of uh, what we couldn't ever do before was if a user comes through on the website or the app, we could never define that it was the same user. So what we're able to do now is if one customer journey can be carried across multiple different platforms between web and app. Um, Another thing is we can use predictive AI. Um, so we can actually look at revenue prediction. We can look at the possibility and probability of purchases that that will happen on the site itself. Um, so the big thing is that customer journey and being able to gather all these events to be able to define your, your marketing budget and be able to see what traction. And like I said, it's all medium. So if somebody's advertising on KCLR after the 
after the 1st of July, they won't be able to record those spikes or that, that traction. And interestingly, Radio Central Ireland, which measures um, radio advertising effectiveness, did some really interesting research really about the correlation between uh, radio and web traffic, which uh, people should have a look at. It's on radiocentralireland.ie. Shameless plug for radio, which I must declare uh, there. John Foy, Creative Director with Stratica Studio. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, John. Thank you. KCLR. KCLR indeed. You're listening to The Bottom Line. John Purcell with you until 7 o'clock. Just before our next item, just time to say a big well done. Congratulations and best of luck to Rowena Dooley, who becomes the 38th President of County Carlow Chamber. She also uh, follows in the footsteps of her father, Anthony Dooley, himself a past President of the Chamber, who held the position in 1992 to 1993. We look forward to speaking to Rowena on the programme in the coming weeks and a big thank you to Colin Duggan uh, for his service. Uh, We spoke to Colin some weeks ago. Now we're going to move on. We're going to talk the economy. Uh, The Central Bank of Ireland have released their quarterly bulletin, their second of this year. Uh, I Earlier, before we came on air, I spoke to Martin O'Brien, who's head of Irish Economic Analysis at the Central Bank of Ireland. He was last on with Colin Ahern, who was in this seat when I was away in March. Uh, And I asked Martin O'Brien, what are the headlines of the current Central Bank quarterly bulletin? I guess the main sort of features is that the outlook for the domestic economy is relatively favourable and a little bit even more favourable uh, in terms of growth uh, than what we were expecting uh, the last time we, we published a forecast. So, uh, uh, And that's really reflective of you know, very low unemployment, uh, historically low unemployment, uh, you know, relatively strong growth in, in, in consumer spending and in investment in the economy. Uh, but it's also clear signs of you know, really the economy you know, operating at capacity, as we say in the bulletin itself. And that basically means you know, demand conditions are overall are relatively strong in comparison to you know, the capacity of the economy to supply the goods and the services and the labour that, 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 the, that, sort of, that would meet that level of demand. And that also has an implication then for the inflation outlook. Uh, as we know, inflation last year was very high. Uh, it has peaked, it's coming down, uh, and that was mostly due to you know, you know, the sharp energy increases last year. Uh, but as we look forward then, uh, while the energy price issue is not going to be the key driver of inflation, what is the key driver of inflation is that sort of the relative strength of the domestic economy. Uh, and uh, and that's really the main issues that we're facing into now, that uh, the economy reaching capacity uh, and the implications of that for uh, the inflation outlook and also the uh, the, the domestic policy uh, angles that will have to be taken to, re- to to address that. Strong demand and that capacity and future growth don't entirely sound uh, they're positive. Strong growth and demand is positive. But when we're at capacity, how can you move beyond capacity or how can the capacity improve to meet the future demand or can it? <laughs> Well, there are very clear constraints at the moment, particularly when we look at the labour market. You know, the number of vacancies, you know, relative to you know the, the, the sort of the available labour force is still at very high levels, um, and it's really critical in some sectors, particularly in the consumer-facing sectors and in uh, say some of the care sectors as well. Uh, and that's really being a, being a challenge, and it's also quite relevant in the construction sector, uh, which you know is another sort of you know I suppose binding constraint at the moment. 
and what we hear uh, when we're when we're talking uh, uh, to people across the country is the the, the challenges that are being faced, uh, you know, in terms of recruitment and retention that sort of links to the challenges that people are facing in the housing market. Uh, and uh, you know, it really is that this sort of you know um, uh, a, a little bit of a constraint there. And also, what we're seeing is that you know uh, most of the sort of the growth and the continued growth in employment is really going to be um, achieved by attracting inward migration. So, uh, you know, if we look at you know, what's actually you know, contributing to growth in the labour forces, it's really uh, uh, people coming into Ireland. Uh, and again, you know, we need to have a housing supply situation that will sort of uh, enable that to, to happen. So when we have, you know, so much levels of demand uh, in the economy that we get when unemployment is at historical lows as it is, um, you know, uh, we, we basically have this sort of uh, dismissal match uh, that takes time to be resolved. It, it, it does mean you know some careful planning uh, on behalf of, of policy, uh, but from a monetary policy point of view, and sort of, and this is a situation in the euro area overall. You know, it is quite clear that you know inflation being uh, at the levels that it was, uh, unfortunately, is necessary to see an increase in interest rates in order to ensure that inflation comes back down. Uh, but it is also important that some of those sort of structural issues in the domestic economy, especially with respect to housing. Uh, you know, we, we see to we try to resolve them in a sustainable way. Uh, you know, basically to allow growth to continue while not having this sort of you know excessive you know push on on upward push on price pressures as a result of having very high levels of demand in the economy. Yeah, the unemployment rate is now below four percent. That's for the first time since two thousand and four. I'd say it's never been much lower, has it? Uh, I don't believe it has. Um, you know, we've never really had uh, unemployment, you know, dipping below four uh, percent for for an extended period of time. Uh, there was a period of time, sort of during the earlier parts of this century, when unemployment sort of hovered around four percent, four to four and a half percent. And really, at that level, it's what we would call, you know, in essence, full employment. Um, and uh, that, that that really just speaks to the, the the nature of the challenges that you know a number of businesses are having in trying to source, uh, you know, to source workers, um, uh, but also, you know, these sort of constraints that we see in sort of delivery of services, whether that be, you know, profit or non-profit services, public services, and, and these sort of challenges that, that people are facing at the moment. Uh, and what that will do, uh, and is certainly our expectation, is that, you know, that sort of mismatch between the demand and the supply of labour will be contributing to an uptick in, 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 in wage rates this year. Uh, a relatively strong growth in wage rates this year and next of about 6%. Um, and again, some of that is to be expected because there was a sort of a, a hit to real incomes last year with inflation being so high and you know, household purchasing power you know, did take a little bit of a hit last year. Uh, and you know, that would be expected to recover you know, somewhat uh, this year. Uh, and indeed, that's what we're foreseeing uh, that you know, toward the end of the year, you know, household purchasing power is actually going to be starting to grow again, um, and that's really tied to this notion that, that wage rates are are, are expected to increase uh, you know, quite strongly this year. Yeah. Now, uh, modified domestic demand is forecast to grow by three point seven percent this year, two point five percent next year, and the year after. That takes us up to twenty twenty five. Listening to what you're saying, with us at full capacity, uh, we're going to have to be importing, uh, or not importing, but bringing in people from overseas to meet that demand. 
Uh, yes, I mean, there are, I mean, what, what we have seen in the last couple of years is a sort of an increased level of participation in the labour market by, uh, you know, by Irish residents, you know, particularly uh, by females and by younger people, uh, more so than what they had done in the past, which is a positive thing. Um, uh, but, you know, broadly speaking, you know, uh, we're not necessarily going to see, you know, another, um, you know, uh, large group of people already resident in the country, you know, entering into the labour force. Um, uh, and so when we look forward, it really is our capacity to attract and retain um, and to be uh, a place where people want to come and, uh, and live and work uh, is going to be an important feature. Yeah, now turning to inflation, the headline is that headline inflation has declined, but core inflation is picking up. What do you define as core inflation and where does that impact? Mm. So core inflation is a measure of inflation that basically strips out some of the more volatile um, sort of components uh, that go into the headline inflation calculation. And those really are energy prices and um, food prices. Now, obviously, you know, energy and food are an important part of, of you know, our day-to-day consumption, so they're part of the headline. But those price developments in those categories are really uh, primarily determined by global issues. So, you know, it's the wholesale prices on the global markets and the futures prices uh, on the global markets for you know, energy commodities and for food commodities that really sort of drive those prices. And when we strip those out and we look at this notion of core inflation, what we're really trying to do is, is try to get a sense of, well, what are the relevant parts of inflation that are driven more by stuff that's happening in Ireland, by the domestic factors. Uh, and that really then ties back to you know, this issue around the labour market being so tight, um, you know, the price of services being quite strong, which are obviously mostly you know, domestically uh, um, uh, determined. Uh, and when we're talking about core inflation, it really is that, that essence of well, the, the stickiness of inflation. That's the real indicator of how sticky inflation will be. And what we're seeing in the forecast now is that as the energy and and the, the global food price uh, situation uh, gets uh, slightly better. Um, you know, they're not necessarily going to be growing as fast as they did in 2022, which is uh, you know a, a good thing, obviously for for households overall. Um, but we are seeing the sort of more domestically determined uh, uh, factors influencing the the inflation rate more so, and that's why we see core inflation sort of being a little bit higher, uh, certainly this year, and being slower to come down, um, given the sort of the capacity constraints, as we as we mentioned before, that's happening in the economy. Mm, we've seen the European Central Bank increased rates all in an effort to, uh, you know, address the issue of inflation and bring it down. Do you think we've turned some cor- sort of a corner and is there light at the end of the tunnel of, uh, at, during a period of constantly increasing inflation? Um, so I think in terms of the headline inflation number, we, which, you know, in the euro area and in Ireland almost reached sort of double digit levels towards the end of, or sort of the middle of the end of last year, we certainly turned a corner uh, there. Um, and that's, you know, Primarily, uh, you know, related to you know the movements on the energy uh, on the energy side uh, and how those have passed through, and uh, I would say in terms of the interest rate situation, you know, obviously um, uh, the governing council at the ECB have have 
stated quite clearly, the uh, the target is two percent, and you know they're they're uh, uh, they're dedicated to uh, taking actions to ensure that the the target for the euro area overall overall of two percent inflation in the medium term is met, and hence we've had the the interest rate response that we've had. But we're only interest rate monetary policy sort of acts with with a, a bit of a lag. Uh, we're really only beginning to see the impact of monetary policy on inflation rates uh, in the euro area and we would expect to continue to see that and that is also as we move into 2024 and 2025 in particular uh, uh, the impact of monetary policy on uh, is, is beginning to feature in the lower inflation rates that were expected uh, you know towards the end of, uh, of next or next year and the year after mm. um, but importantly you know uh, the, the, what sort of pushing against that in, in the Irish case in particular is you know the, the relative strength of those demand conditions uh, so it's really uh, the interplay between the tighter monetary policy, how that's going to sort of um, sort of try to, to dampen demand a little bit. Uh, but, you know, we still have quite strong supportive forces for demand in the Irish, the Irish economy at the moment. That was Martin O'Brien, Head of Irish Economic Analysis at the Central Bank of Ireland, talking to me earlier on a really complex picture uh, with the economic picture. Full employment, uh, inflation, all that stuff going on now. Uh, just yesterday, the 50th Kilkenny Arts Festival uh, announced their programme and the event runs from August 10th to the 20th. So check out kilkennyarts.ie. Always a great event. It means a lot for local businesses because probably the height of the tourist season, which is such a big uh, attraction for people uh, in Kilkenny and which is a huge part of the local economy. Now, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by a Carlo woman who runs a company called Pragmatica. And uh, Pragmatica is a one-stop solution for developing your sustainability strategies and also your sustainability compliance uh, because um, Gillian Peters, CEO of Pragmatica, there is going to be compliance as well. Uh, all the stuff about people wanting to develop strategies, they're going to have to. And indeed, the planet has to and the human race has to. Tell us about what you're at. Good evening, John, and good evening to your listeners. It's lovely to be here. Um, yes, so there are new reporting directives coming down the line. A lot of people may have heard of them already. We have the Corporate, Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, which is the CSRD. And essentially that is still in draft stage, but the principles are there. So from 2025, large businesses will have to report on 2024 activity. And that's activity across their environmental, their social and their governance strategies. So that's basically in the whole space of we've talked to many businesses and we talk regularly about the environment and the need to reduce carbon footprints. It's all got to do with there's the push and the pull. You know, people are being encouraged to be turn off the lights, save electricity, do all that good stuff. But it is going to become compulsory as well. And there will be measures, you know, people are required to have accounting standards. So they will now be required to have sustainability standards. Exactly. It is EU EU reporting directive. It's a financial reporting directive. It's not going anywhere. It's definitely happening in 2025. Uh, You mentioned big companies. Like what kind of, what kind of range are we talking about? So, there are phase-in provisions. So for, this, for the first year in 2025, very large companies with employees of over 750 will have to report. 
there are phase-in conditions then throughout the next five financial years. So by 2029, it's looking like listed SMEs will have to report. So it's certainly coming down the line for SMEs, which I know the majority of your listeners are. So just to clarify, so the number of companies in Carlock or Kenny with 750 plus would be limited enough, yeah. but it is coming down the track it for is. everyone else. It is. We're There's talking about draft. the next five or six years. Five or six years. There's a new draft due in July of, sorry, next month in July. It's very much, it is a EU, EU directive. It's up to each jurisdiction, each country to regulate it. It's at consultative stage in Ireland as to who's going to regulate it. So I think the impact for SMEs, while they don't have to report for five years, when larger businesses are looking at their environmental impact, they look at everything in the value chain. So it's looking at everything in the inbound logistics, the operations, the outbound logistics, the marketing services, sales. So you're looking at everything within your organization. So if an SME falls into that value chain, they, t- they could be asked to report on behalf of the larger business. So if you're tendering for a job with a company that's over 750 people, say Coca-Cola or somebody like that, yep. just say if you're a supplier and you supply whatever, they may start asking you for what? They could ask you. I'm hearing different things from different clients. So some clients are saying that some of the larger companies are looking for a full ESG strategy. So that's covering everything from the environmental, social and the governance side. Others are looking for what their environmental strategy is. So they're looking for what are your carbon footprint emissions? If you're a corporate, if you're producing or manufacturing a product, what are your product carbon footprint emissions? And then looking at reduction pathways going forward. I've heard from one specific client that one of the larger companies are actually looking for their suppliers to have signed up for science-based targets. And science-based targets is an initiative whereby you are aligning your targets, your reduction targets, to the Paris Agreement. So it's essentially having your emissions by 2030 and net zero by 2050. So they're looking for the validation of you aligning your targets to science base. So, so often um, when companies may be tendering for a um, you know piece of business, they may, particularly state business, they'd have to supply a tax clearance certificate. Yeah. Is it likely that companies will have to supply a you know, carbon footprint certificate that they're doing the stuff? Is that the kind of territory we're in? Yes, probably. Not in the immediate term. I think for the immediate term, it's more the strategies they're looking for. But certainly when people will have to report as part of their financial reporting process in 2029 or whenever that comes in for SMEs, they could look for that. As I mentioned, it's very much a draft stage and the regulatory conditions in Ireland are unknown yet. But we should know more in the next few months. And where does Pragmatica come in? So Pragmatica are an outsourced sustainability officer essentially for businesses. So we help businesses large and small. So we could be helping a smaller business develop a full environmental social governance strategy. We look at corporate carbon footprint measurement. We look at specific product carbon footprint measurement. We look then at creating sustainability strategies or sorry, not sustainable communication strategies around their sustainability journey, how they want to communicate to their stakeholders, people in their value chain, etc. And we also work with companies then where we can go in, help enable the company in terms of setting up a green team, educating a green team. So within larger companies, we go in and we're 
I suppose if they're lacking a capability within their own sustainability team, we can go in and help there across the different range of services. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until seven o'clock in studio. I'm joined by Gillian Peters, who's the chief executive of Pragmatica. We're talking about solutions uh, to sustainability strategies compliance. After the break, we're going to talk about what specifically companies need to be doing and how they can go about putting these strategies into action. With John Purcell, The Bottom Line on KCLR. KCLR. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. Now, a constant theme that we've talked about right through this series has been the environment. We're talking about sustainability strategies and compliance that's coming down the road. You know, businesses are going to have to... uh, shape up and they're going to be required to uh, comply with certain measures. They will be by the government, but also companies along the supply chain are going to require it of people. Uh, Gillian Peters, who's the CEO of Pragmatica, a company who work with companies as an outsourced supplier of strategy and also implementation, joins me in the studio. Where do companies start, Gillian? You know, what are the first steps that people need to take if they're at ground zero I suppose at the moment and they want to get a strategy and you know practice up and running. Yeah um, so I was that soldier I think a few years ago before I joined Pragmatica I was in an organisation and I had to go about creating a strategy and looking at carbon footprint measurement and I have to say at the time I did not have a clue so I can certainly empathise with companies out there who have to do it so I think the biggest learning for me I had from that process was to look at your business strategy to look at your strategy through an environmental lens so I think many organisations that are out there they will probably be aware of some frameworks such as PESTEL where you'd look at your external environment and what's happening there so looking at your looking at that with the environmental lens as I said I think business owners they know more about their business than anyone else so they will know about their value chain they will know if there are any large businesses within that value chain and there is no harm in reaching out to large businesses to say is this coming ahead of me so if you're a small business like a one or two person operation but you are supplying a big huge business you need to check yeah, there's no harm. There's absolutely no harm. Large businesses, they may have their own structures in place. They may may not have. Um, the reporting doesn't take place until 2025. So I suppose preparedness is key. Um, getting back to Brexit years ago, but being prepared for what's coming down the line rather than being surprised when you are approached by a large company within your value chain. Um, and I would say then be aware of grants. There are many grants out there available to small businesses through your local enterprise office or through Enterprise Ireland. You have the um, Climate Action Voucher, the Green Start and some consultancy grants there too. So just to avail of grants wherever you can. Now, um, presuming a company looks at its carbon footprint, looks at its, you know, all the stuff it's doing and realises it's not good. What should they start doing and what are the kind of easy things that companies can do to make a big difference? Well, through our measurement process, we can actually give companies a guide as to how they can reduce Every company is different. Every service is different. And it, everything is measured across the greenhouse gas um, protocol. So you're looking at your scope one, which is any direct 
emissions caused by, for example, fuels that you're using in your organisation, including company cars. If you're using petrol or diesel, scope two is your utilities, where it's very much the energy. And we're hearing a lot about energy at the moment. So it's the units you're buying into an organisation. And then scope three is everything else in the value chain. So even if you're not producing a product as such, there are still many things that you need to measure. You're looking at paper, you're looking at food consumed. We have one client who has a very small kitchenette. We were able to measure 13 espresso pods versus another client who has full canteen facilities. So we're measuring every starter that was consumed within a year. So you're measuring a baseline so what in, gets in a given year. Gets done. Um, exactly. It strikes me just from what you're saying is there are savings to be made. But what other benefits are there? You know, the, the benefit to the environment is an obvious one. But what other ones? Exactly. So you did mention tenders that, you know, it, to be prepared, we have to clients at the moment to, I suppose, just to look at one specific sector, they're in the event sector, so they're seeing it on tenders that, and they've won tenders because of their sustainable initiatives Um, and just to be very aware of what the requirement is there for employees, employees especially the younger generation now, they're looking at working with companies who are environmentally friendly they want a purpose from working there, so certainly in terms of recruitment and retention of staff Customers now are making more informed decisions when it comes to environmental products. Um, I think a few years ago, that was a different story versus today. And you mentioned the improved efficiencies as well, John. So looking at the cost and even the efficiencies and op- operations that can be identified through a business analysis and process analysis. Um, Gillian, finally, if people are interested, they realise they have a lot of stuff to do. You're an outsourced uh, company. You can provide it for them rather than employing a sustainability officer. What should they do? Yes, so th- I would say go to our website, which is pragmatica.ie. Um, there is a contact form there, and please do reach out, even if it's just for a call. I do, as I mentioned, empathise with businesses and the Because the there's a lot going in. on, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, so even if they want to have a quick chat with me, that's no problem. Just and, contact me through the website. And what's your website, pragmatica.ie? That's it, yes. Pragmatica.ie, you heard it here, uh, folks. Well, look, thanks Gillian for joining us. That's Gillian Peters, CEO of Pragmatica. That's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email the bottom line at caseylaura96fm.com or you can uh, listen back to the show or any episode of the programme. Just search the bottom line caseylaura on Google Play, uh, Apple Store or Spotify. Thanks to all our guests this week, Samantha McCochran, John Foy, Martin O'Brien and Gillian Peters. We'll be back with you next Thursday, just after the news at six with more stories for and about business. Until then, take care of yourselves, keep it local where possible, stay tuned to Casey Law and keep the faith. And thanks, of course, to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thanks most of all to you for listening. Do have a good week and we'll talk to you next Thursday. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell.